Welcome to Louisville Innovates, a podcast by Greater Louisville Inc. I'm Jordan Noble, and you're listening to GLI's first podcast and a series on innovation in our community. In 2019, we had a lot to celebrate here at GLI, including not only the honor of being named the 2019 National Chamber of the Year, but also the career of our outgoing President and CEO, Kent Euler, and his five years with the Chamber of Commerce. We sat down with Kent and discussed his time with GLI and how he turned around our nonprofit. We also visited Leadership Louisville President and CEO, Cynthia Napek, and spoke to her about the challenges of being a successful leader and what the future of leadership could look like in Greater Louisville. Enjoy! In category four, join me in welcoming the 2019 Chamber of the Year winner, the Greater Louisville. Well, I come from the private sector and corporate sector, so most of what I've been involved with has been corporate turnarounds. Been involved in a couple of those, mostly in the manufacturing industry. Uh, did a company that I used to work for and was involved with, uh, got itself crossways with some of its financials and upside down on some of its pricing with customers. And it took quite a while, quite honestly, to pull out change. What happens is you don't necessarily see it until you're very deep in it or you're looking backwards at it and saying, oh my gosh, what happened to me? And you know that lack of proactivity is partially what gets people into a situation where they have to deal with turnarounds. I mean, there are business ups and downs. It's hard to stay always on top of the wave. But if you start falling off, you better know when you're falling off and be able to take actions to get back on uh, board. The organizations need to have, especially in the nonprofit sector where it's not necessarily is prevalent, they need to have very specific monitoring practices and policies and procedures. So if you're in the banking industry, it's very highly regulated, there's all kinds of policies and you report to your board whether you're in policy or out of policy all the time. If you're in a nonprofit organization, it's typically volunteer leadership that you're reporting to. So the folks that are on the board, that's not their job. They're serving as a volunteer on the board. They tend to trust the management quite a bit, and particularly if the management's demonstrating uh, results in other areas, and may not have visibility on some of the things that are kind of eroding under the surface. If you're a part of a board of directors or you're part of a staff that's servicing a board, or even if you're not, you need to have you know professional metrics and, and policies in place. And that would include things like you know, your financials, obviously, everybody understands that, but are you forecasting the end of the year? One of the things we do at GLI, and is probably the most important thing that we do, is as we get into the year, we recast the budget, not the budget, our outcomes. The budget never changes. We recast the outcomes in detail every quarter, but really every month we update that. So we have a pretty good you know, view on how the year end is going to turn out financially. Because if you wait until six months into the year and you haven't recast, and then you finally sit down and say, whoa, I, you know, I'm off plan here, can I recover? Well, maybe, maybe not. And you, know, you do that a couple years in a row and you're into a turnaround. But there's lots of other metrics you should be following too. What are your priorities? What are your deliverables you have to your investors, your donors? Are you doing a good job with that? Are you keeping your staff satisfied, your customers satisfied? So are you taking a look on a regular basis at the metrics that measure that? At July, we use a net promoter score, which is kind of nice. It's a tough metric but it's also comparable to other organizations because it's measured the same, it's a, it's a recommend score. 
and we use it for events, we use it for overall satisfaction. So we kind of tell if we're getting sideways. If we have an event or a thing that happens along the way and it falls below expectations, it's very much highlighted there. I think another thing that nonprofits have to do is have a dashboard. So that's something we do is have a, a very visible dashboard. It's graphical. We show it at every staff meeting. Uh, we show it at every board meeting. It's made available and it measures the high level things that are happening in the organization, like your dashboard. You know, I'm running out of gas or I'm driving too fast. Lights come on if, if the engine's not working right. Same thing with the dashboard. It just highlights that. It's not every metric because we have about a dozen of those on our high-level dashboard that we show the board, but there's 134 metrics this year that we use in a program called Cascade to keep track of how we're doing in each of those sub-metrics, and those all feed up into the main dashboard. So, you know, around here, we've got a pretty good idea how it's going as we're doing it, which helps keep us from, you know, putting a wheel in the ditch and eventually get pulled off the road. So before you came to GLI, this wasn't necessarily a thing? Uh, they had dashboards. What they didn't have in 19 or 2014, when I got here and for a couple of years before, was consistent leadership. So at the staff level, the previous long-term leader had left. Uh, there were interim leaders who were doing you know, a fine job keeping the programs up, but they weren't putting in policies and procedures like this. Just didn't have the visibility it should. Then there was a person hired for the CEO job. That didn't work out. So you had a three or four year period where it wasn't monitored as tightly as it needed to be. And in that period of time, clearly the organization started losing money, it started losing membership, and it started losing confidence uh, in various people, including the mayor here. In many cases, the problems are already so deep by the time the turnaround effort starts that it's just not recoverable. And sometimes, you know, things are not recoverable. You can't, everything can't be turned around. Sometimes it needs to be stopped and maybe it needs to be reinvented and started over in a different way. When I came here in 2014, that was one of our considerations. We looked very seriously, do we stop and restart the chamber over again? You need to have a chamber of commerce that was not going away. The things that GLI does and did then were very important, was not going away. But the other day I had the opportunity to rewatch the annual meeting uh, remarks on video that were recorded, but they were pretty dire at that time. They were talking big, but they had just had a resignation of the fellow that was the mishire, and, you know, membership was dropping, and kind of the general attitude and, and confidence level in the room wasn't as high as it should be. You know, we, we were in a, in a pretty low place right then. And now we're chamber of the year. Yeah, so, you know, how did we do that? I, I, first of all, when I came here, we, had, we were losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. We were losing membership. Staff was in turmoil. The city had pulled a million-dollar contract, which is about 20% of our budget. But more important than that, it was sort of a mantle of, of leadership in the economic development space when our investors are telling us the number one thing you do need to do is economic development. Our executive committee was concerned. Our governance hadn't been updated in a long time. Our mission statement was be the idea capital of the world, which made no sense. So it was good because there was a lot of clarity. You couldn't keep doing all that stuff and stay in business. So everything was going the other, had to go the other direction. So we started 
you know, with a 100-day plan, which I came in with, the door with, which included redoing our governance, uh, dealing with staffing. We were in the process. We had a bunch of people because of the loss of the economic development that were in the process of being laid off within a month after I got here because the funding had gone away. So dealing with staff morale, uh, we did. We started employee surveys and other things to get a handle on how the staff was feeling. We certainly grabbed the financial piece and you know, spent a tremendous amount of time with that. This financial person we had at the time had just started two days before I was there, so even she wasn't familiar with it. So there's a lot of work to do. Um, I also came in with you know a pretty strong network and very strong support. So at least people were willing to give me a try. Uh, it wasn't going to be permanent, but you know, had somebody else come in that didn't have the familiarity in the broad networks, it would have been a lot harder. And I had some track record of success in the private sector. So came in with that, which was good. On the other hand, I had no idea how to run a chamber of commerce, never done that. I'd been on the board here, and I came off the board into this job, but, and I have uh, no idea how to run a political organization. But I did realize we had to start somewhere. One of the things you have to do that's core is be the voice of business. So the first person we hired uh, was Sarah DeVenture Wisdom, who came in to be our head of public policy, and she's done a great job building that organization. So we could at least legitimately say we were the voice of business. We've heard from Ken Euler, outgoing Greater Louisville Inc. president and CEO, about his time at GLI and his perspective on his successor, Sarah DeVenture Wisdom. Now we will hear from Leadership Louisville's president and CEO, Cynthia Napek, as she shares her thoughts on the future of leadership in Greater Louisville and the importance of women holding leadership roles in our community. I think if you look at this community, um, actually, if you just look at Main Street, the executive director of the Slugger Museum is a woman. Over here, Leadership Louisville Center, that's me, that's a woman. And then you can go over to GLI, and congratulations to Sarah for being the new um, head of the chamber. And then over at the Kentucky Center for the Arts, that's a woman too. And then you go down to tourism, that's a woman. And oh, the leader of the Downtown Development Corporation, that's a woman. So there's a whole lot of um, great shift in women in leadership roles in civic leadership. I think it's a natural follow that we'll start to see more women in leadership roles in our companies as well. And Leadership Louisville is excited about kind of being able to be the wind beneath the wings of a lot of great women who I hope will see ascend um, into positions of influence soon. We have always had a strong chamber. So all credit to all of the people who have served the chamber over the years. Each one has brought a different asset. Um, and I've actually been involved with the chamber for probably more than 20 years. So I've actually seen quite a bit of the ebbs and flows of the chamber. A strong chamber of commerce is one of the things that is, first of all, it's a must have because when we look at all of the issues um, that go on in our community, I think if you go upstream to figure out, well, how do we solve all of these issues? Economic development and a strong economic engine fixes a whole lot of things. So I think it's very important. And I think the people who live here have always known that. And I think the people who live here have always supported the idea of having um, and investing in a strong chamber. The interesting thing is, is that Every time requires a different leader. And so as we change, the chamber has needed different leadership. 
when Kent came to the chamber, there was just kind of a lot of crazy chaos. It was just a time of, of change and flux. Things were changing with the mayor's office, and that's a significant partner for the chamber. We'd had a shift in leadership not once but twice <laughs> in very quick succession. So, um, you know, having someone who's in the position for only a short time, it just adds to that. So Kent came in, and because he is got a strong ability to move things forward, he was able to quiet some of the chaos. That's what uh, the chamber needed at that time. Kent has served well and ably, so I applaud his effort to think about succession. That's one of the hallmarks of good leaders, is thinking about how do I leave the organization better than I found it, I think he did, um, and how do I set them up for success. When you're able to pull someone internally and move them up, um, that is always a positive indicator about the health of an organization. So I know Sarah feels passionately about how we move our city forward, how we have strong economic opportunities for everyone. So I'm sure that her passion will lead to even better success for the chamber. So I think we have had a lot of conversations about uh, the future of leadership, um, especially here at the Leadership Louisville Center. And it's interesting because um, with the passing of Mr. Jones, who clearly was one of our community's iconic leader, um, that conversation, I think, comes up even more in, this, in the course of these last few months. So now that we don't have Mr. Jones, who will step in to fill those shoes, to drive things in our community? And I think that universally, uh, the way that we lead people is changing. The loss of iconic leaders like Mr. Jones is definitely a loss, um, but as things change, what I hope um, that we see is more leaders. So rather than one person required to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, what I hope we see is that it's diffused, that we have more leaders stepping up to take a piece of this and a piece of that and trying to move our community forward in a way where we're not just relying on a few people at the top where we actually all feel a sense of responsibility for um, moving things forward in our community. And I think um, that's part of the generational shift that is occurring. There's also some other nice things that happen with diffused leadership, which is that I hope that we get an infusion of diversity in our leadership. I hope that we see people who felt like they didn't have a voice. I hope that we're creating more room at the table. And I think we are, I mean, I think we see that, we see that just in population shifts. So what needs to follow the population shift is the shift in voices that are heard at the top. I'm so pleased to be included in the podcast. I love serving on the GLI board and I love the collaborative work that um, Leadership Louisville and GLI do together to figure out how do we do good things in our community? How do we make sure that we have good economic development? How do we make sure that we have strong leaders today and in the future? So thanks for asking me.
Thank you for listening to Louisville Innovates, a podcast by Greater Louisville Link. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of our podcast and will continue to tune in as we discuss important topics of business innovation in our community, such as GLI's advocacy agenda, the year of leadership, and talent attraction and retention. Be sure to follow GLI Chamber on Twitter and Instagram and Greater Louisville Link on both LinkedIn and Facebook to stay up to date with your chamber. At GLI, you're more than a member. You're an investor in your community. Thanks for listening.